before we start today, I just um, I wanted to say thank you to all those of you who were able to go up and uh, and help in Paradise this last week, actually in Chico, um, helping provide meals for somewhere close to about 400 people. I think was the number. There were there were uh, so many volunteers wanting to go and help that we actually had to turn folks away. Thank you. Thank you to those of you who were hoping to go and were not able to, and thank you to those who were actually able to go. Um, a special thanks to uh, Charmaine and her sister, Cherie, for their hard labor in getting everything ready, um, prepping Sunday and getting, getting everybody on task. Um, I think the greatest thing of all were the comments that were made to the folks who were there, and one of the one of the things that I was told was that the people sitting around table, just getting an opportunity to sit across the table and share a meal with friends they hadn't seen and didn't know exactly where they were or what was happening, that they were saying to the folks who were there, you don't understand how important this is, how significant this is, for us to be able to just see each other and talk about this. And when you stop and think about it for a minute, there's no one else on the planet who can share and understand the experience like the person across the table from them. And so again, thank you for your, for your help, for your involvement. Um, and we will be looking forward to doing more. Uh, I think one of the things that we are considering as, as a Grace Point family is uh, probably trying to start doing more at the beginning of the year as sort of the, the natural tendency of folks pulls away. We actually would like to engage more. So probably start expecting to hear more about going and helping and getting involved as we move into January because I think that's when um, it falls off the media's pitch stage, it falls off the Christmas stage, and then uh, we'll, we'll really, I think, be needed more at that point. So thank you for the, all those of you who are able to help, and uh, you'll be hearing from us again. So uh, have you noticed that there's a giant building next to this one? It is a cool thing. There's a there's a, a a first interior wall going up. If you get a chance to look out through the the, the doors, you can no longer exit. Um, you'll see that there's a first interior wall. It's interesting that the first wall is went up in the ladies' restroom, ladies. So, um, so I think there's something symbolically important about that. Um, I don't know what it is yet, but I'll figure something out. It'll probably be the topic of a sermon someday. But that was the first interior wall that went up. And uh, there's just some really fun things to get a chance to, to look out there and check out and start seeing the building take shape interior now. Um, hopefully this week there'll be a, a roof on it um, that will prevent rain from falling through. Up to this point, it's been kind of a sieve. And uh, now as they get the, the final elements of the roof on, it should settle things out and uh, hopefully... Uh, stop the rain from raining inside the building. Um, Mr. Cerno, where'd he go? There he is. He disappeared down below the, below the seat. I couldn't see you, buddy. Last week I told you that I was going to be asking uh, young people to come up and read. And so this week, Mr. Cerno is our, uh, my, our assistant. Assistant. I was going to call you victim, but I think that's probably a bad thing to say. (laughs) 
Okay, hold that mic up real close to your, to your mouth, and would you please read that for us? God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to, young women na- uh, to a young ma- woman named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. To the, to, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Do not be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for the Lord has found favor with you. Amen. Thank you, sir. I'll take that off your hands, and you can just take that and give it to Mrs. Groff over there. Thank you very much. Um, all uh, through the season and maybe on into next year, we'll see. I would love to have uh, children volunteering to start at the beginning of the service with our, with our text. Um, this morning we're looking into a moment in, in the life of the church and in the life of a simple young woman, probably from a pretty poor family since most of Nazareth was pretty poor families, who absolutely alters the trajectory of, her, of not only her own life, but of the world in which we live. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the grace and blessing of your presence with us today. Thank you so much for the music we heard, for the gifts that you have given in our church. Thank you for the young families and young people who have served you so ably this morning. I ask for your blessings on the words shared over the next few minutes. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you're looking for where you're going to find this story, Luke chapter 1, as uh, Dr. Luke was trying to write his sort of biographical sketch of the life of Jesus, he gives us a little more information about what was going on. He gives us some background information about what happens with Mary. And he gives us things that not everybody is given. And so we get an opportunity with him to sort of peer into things. I keep wondering, who told him this story? Did he get this story from Mary herself? That would seem like the only eyewitness to this event was actually Mary. So we may be listening to a a biographical sketch by the woman herself. One day in Nazareth, as she was going about her normal business. Now, Nazareth is a small town. It's a very small town. It sits in a little valley. And as I mentioned to just briefly last week, many of the people living in Nazareth live inside the limestone caves with sort of a porch trajectory out, trajecting out into the front of the building. And so just think of a, a building built on the front of a cave, but the cave is really where they spend most of their time. As this young woman in some place in that town or in that home, just going about the normal parts of her day, Pretty excited right at the moment. She is about to be married. She's engaged, betrothed to a man in the village named Joseph. Now I know that there's a lot of, uh, a lot of church, uh, history and, uh, sort of imagined, uh, understanding that Joseph might have been an older man. There's nothing biblically that really lays that out for us. That's a church tradition that that Joseph and Mary had never had any children of their own, but that in fact, uh, these, any children that were brothers and sisters of, uh, of Jesus had to have been of a former marriage. There's no description of that in scripture. It's simply the church, uh, tradition that Mary was a perpetual virgin. And so I don't know that that is necessarily true. If you read Matthew carefully, it seems to indicate that in fact she was not. That's enough said about that, but just to say to you, I don't think Joseph was an old guy. 
So if it, if it's following first century tradition, tradition, she's probably early to mid teens. It was actually considered a curse for a man not to, to betroth his daughter before she was what we would consider sort of uh, middle high school age. So if your daughter got to be 15 or 16, it was a curse on you. It was a, it was a scourge on your family. How could you do such a thing? So typically a young girl in, in what we would think of as junior high or, or freshman year in high school, by, by ex- extended circumstances, maybe as far as a sophomore, was already betrothed to be married. Betrothal took about a year. So they would, they would set the two of them up and the man would go to prepare a place for her. There's a phrase in there you should remember. And that preparation would go on for about a year and he would make, make up usually in addition to his parents' house. So, uh, I don't know, do you dig out a cave next door to the cave or do you just add another porch on the front of the cave? I don't know. But whatever the process, Joseph is going about the business of being ready for, a, for marriage. Now, guys, I don't know where, where your head was when you were thinking about getting married. When I was getting ready to get engaged to be married, I can remember the process I was going through. Um, I had uh, I had left college without a without a full call from a conference. So when I left college, there were my my year there were eighteen graduates from PUC and there were five calls in the Pacific Union. And so I started scrambling and looking for a place where I might find some place to work. And Paradise was actually the first place that I worked. I was called there to be a youth pastor on a, on a stipend. It, it, looking back on it, it was hardly enough to be called a stipend. I did, it did come with room and board in a household of one of the people in the church. They took me in and I became a, another child of theirs for, for the following year. And I got $280 a month. And the church call, covered the insurance on my car. Now on that 280 bucks, I did just fine. Because I had been a college student, as broke as broke gets, right? And so on that 280 bucks, I was fine. I, I had no trouble taking care of my needs and uh, having ice cream once in a while and hanging out with the kids and just, just doing fine. But as February approached, you see, in February, I was planning to ask Brenda to marry me. As February approached, I became pretty nervous about what I was going to do to provide a home for a wife. And so I started, you know, asking the Lord, I I would like some kind of an idea about what the plan's going to be here. So about the end of January, I got a call from the conference president of Northern California, a man named Phil Follett. And Phil's voice across the phone, he said, we would like, the Northern California Conference would like to invite you to become a, a member of our ministerial staff and work for us as a youth pastor in our conference. Now, that was January. The next phrase out of his mouth was a little bit of a letdown because I was getting real excited, about to get a significant raise. In June. So now I'm thinking, okay, so I've got six more months of $280 a month. But now I had a start date. And so I did go forward and ask Brendan to marry me. And um, after some begging and pleading and weeping and gnashing of teeth, she said, okay. (laughs) 
And uh, because I was used to living on nothing, I saved the entirety of my first couple of paychecks so that we could go on a honeymoon. The cool thing about it is that that preparation, the thinking about how I would take care of a wife and eventually a family, was a, a huge step in what is called adulting today. You know, for me, that was a, wait a second, don't involve someone else in your mess until you have figured out how to solve some of the issues. That's what betrothal was. The year of betrothal for Joseph was him preparing himself and preparing a place for Mary. Somewhere in the midst of that. As Mary is seeing the preparations, as surely conversations have gone on about town and across town about what's going on with Joseph, as certainly her mother is beginning to expect or beginning to tell her what it's like to be married and, and, and start copying down recipes so that she has some, some way to, to cook for this husband she's about to have. As that excitement is rolling out and the preparations are rolling ahead, she's getting a little anxious and excited when one day the angel Gabriel shows up. Think about it for a minute. The angel Gabriel showing up should be pretty exciting news. Suddenly, and, 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 yeah, boy, we've, anybody seen the angel Gabriel? Okay, so we don't actually have any first-hand commentary. I just have this imagination that, whoa, there he is. You know, and the, the rest of the Bible, they always describe him as super bright. So there's this really bright light, and then this angel starts talking to you. And as the angel begins to unpack the story, it opens with this, this interesting phrase. It's in the Bible, it's in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Then the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And having come, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one! The Lord is with you. What would you think? The angel shows up. Bright light. And he says, rejoice. Because angels have deep voices. Rejoice. Highly favored one. Echoing through the eternal heaven. Rejoice. You are favored by God. So far, so good? Would you be excited about his next phrase? Would you be anticipatory? Or would you sit there like a lump? You're all sitting there like a lump right now. Would you be excited to see what God had said? If he said, rejoice, you are favored by God. That's the statement. So the opening statement here sounds pretty good. Verse 29, but when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying. This is interesting to me. There are all these little pockets of the Bible that catch my attention. If the angel comes into your house and says, rejoice, you are favored by God, why would that bother you? Was there something about his demeanor? You know, I don't know. Did he, did he show up in black? Did he show up in, you know, bright glowing red? Did he show up in something that made her uncomfortable? What about rejoice? You are favored by God would bother a person. 
But it bothers her. She's troubled by it, the Bible says. Now, it doesn't say she was angry. It just says she was troubled. It was, it was disconcerting. She was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. So the question really is, what's this about? Rejoice, highly favored one. Hmm. What's about to happen? She's probably read some of the stories in the Old Testament. You know? Angel shows up. Poor young guy's out there in a, in a wine press trying to thresh wheat. It's got chaff all over him and half of the things that he's, and everything that he's wearing. And the angel comes in and says, you are a mighty man of God. She's heard about Gideon. She's heard about Gabriel. And this whole thing seems like it might be a setup. So she's a little troubled. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. Now hold on. Did she introduce herself? He knows her name. There's a lot of preacher could say at this moment. We'll just keep going. For you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive... Now the other shoe drops, like a rock. In your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom there, to his kingdom there will be no end. Mary, being a practical girl, realizes the angel has a problem. Mary says to the angel, How can this be, since I have not known a man? Now I want you to stop for a sec. I know you've heard the story many times, and you've maybe even considered what was going on in this moment. But stop again and think about it. What did the angel just say to her, and why would it be troubling? What are the risks of what was just told to her? What are the things laying out in front of her as the angel says, Oh, by the way, you're going to have a baby. And she says, Hold on. I don't know a lot of myology, but I know a couple things. Mom was explaining just last week what's about to happen to me. How's this supposed to work? So the angel explains it. Now, I just want to know if you would be happy with this explanation. The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. And therefore, that Holy One who is born to you will be called the Son of God. At that point, you go, of course. Sure, no problem then. Well, that's the way it's going to happen. Would you be cool with this? Ladies? Can you remember when you were 14? Could you have taken this news at 14? Lord, I am so grateful that I was not born a woman. This couldn't happen to me. And then Mary said to the angel, Behold, 
the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be done to me as you've declared. Here's the phrase. Here's the moment. Here's an act of submission to the frightening, dangerous future that God has just shown her. I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. It's a simple act. It's just a sentence. But it's massively different from that point to this one. This simple act of submission is going to create an explosion of changes. Think about what she's up against. Think about the things that are running through her mind right before she says this. What is this about to cost her? Number one is probably Joseph. This marriage thing is probably out the window. Nobody's going to want to be married to a woman who is bearing a child that is not his. In the midst of their betrothal, when he has promised to, to, to care for her the rest of his life, and, and she defiles that covenant like this. No one's going to, breathe, going to believe the story of the Holy Spirit coming on her and this child being that of the Holy Spirit. No one's going to trust her again. Her reputation is gone. She's going to have to tell her mother. She's going to have to tell her father. All of those things lay right before that sentence. The impact of all of it is clear because she's troubled about what the angel is saying. She understands fully the implications of saying yes to God, probably more fully than most of us ever do. And yet, she says, I would rather take the next step into those risks with God than to turn God down now. And so she submits herself to the will of God in spite of what she sees over the horizon. Do you get it? Do you, do you understand the, the, the turn of the moment that we're looking at? Here is this woman. Can we really call her a woman? Here is this girl who says yes to God under the most amazing circumstances. And as soon as she does, all of the expected cost begins to roll roll out. Remember Joseph? The Bible says he decides to divorce her. So think about the story. She trundles over to Joseph's house. She says, "Uh, I've got some news I had to share you. I'm sorry, but I have to tell you this. The angel Gabriel showed up at my house the other night. Time out. The angel Gabriel showed up at your house? How did you know that? Was he wearing a name tag? 
How do you know the angel Gabriel showed up at your house? Well, it's more important. I got some other things to tell you. The angel Gabriel showed up at my house. Just hold that for a second. The angel Gabriel showed up at my house and he said that I was going to have a baby. What? Stop right there. I don't know everything there is to know about biology, but I know how this happens. My dad just explained it to me a couple weeks ago. And I'm telling you, he didn't say anything about the angel Gabriel getting involved. And Joseph being a good guy, heartbroken good guy, tearful good guy, guy who had spent the nights from that announcement thinking about this until he knew what he had to do. The whole town would know. Anybody who was in the Jewish community would know. This is a conservative camp up there around Israel and Galilee. This is where the people moved out of Jerusalem so that they could, could keep the rules and keep the laws of God more carefully. And he's living among those folks and his girlfriend, his, his, his betrothed wife, his, in, his engaged wife, she's about to have a child? You know who they're going to think did this? And Joseph has only one way to clear his reputation and his name. He's got to find a way to relieve himself of this woman. And so the worst of her imagined consequences comes true. And Joseph decides, quietly, with just... Some words with the leader of the synagogue. Some words with his father and her father. Joseph decides this is over. It's sad. I liked her. She's a sweet girl. I had great expectations for our future. But I can't do this. Oh, there's another moment. There's another moment. God says, I told you you were going to have to do this, Gabriel, so go talk to the boy. Joseph's quietly asleep one night. The lights come on. This glowing white being just like a light. I don't know, maybe he was purple and like a light. The Bible says like the sun when an angel shows up. Joseph opens his eyes. And blinks into the light. And Gabriel says, It's okay, buddy. I got this. She's telling you the truth. I did go see her. And the child she's going to have is the Messiah. You'll call his name Jesus. It'll be okay. And he puts down his plan to set aside his girl and chooses instead to stand next to her as the scorn of the community falls on them both. Simple act of submission. What happens on the other side of the act? We know the story. 
It's hard to tell you a story that you know as well as this one. But what happens in the years that come? Do you remember? So the angel appears to Joseph. And the Holy Spirit moves on this young woman as she goes to visit her her cousin Elizabeth and stirs up the child inside Elizabeth to respond to Mary. Why? Because God is doing this. I got this. It's okay. I'll talk to Joseph. I'll, I'll show you the testimony of your cousin Elizabeth and her unborn child. It's okay, honey. I got this. I didn't invite you into this relationship to abandon you. I didn't ask you to take this risk and not come with you. Trust me. I got it. And in a few months, some angels will appear to some shepherds and some shepherds will show up at her door and say, we saw some angels. She goes, me too. And they told us that your son was the Messiah. She said, I know. And God pats her on the back. And he says, trust me. I haven't forgotten. I won't leave you alone. I'll go with you through it. And then he leads some men. From so far away, Mary's never heard of the place to come. And they come bringing wealth to take care of her child. And they bow down and they say an ancient prophecy of a star let us hear. And the fulfillment in the heavens brought us to this little spot. And the woman who grew up in a cave has a baby in a cave and everything changes. It's not the end of her cost. It's not the end of her risk. She'll watch the child grow up. She'll try to be a mother to the Messiah. She'll see him learn the skills of his father's trade. She'll introduce him to her children, one after another. And at about 30 years of age, she'll watch him die. She's maybe 45. A seasoned mother for the time. And she buries her son. And that night in Nazareth looms over the experience of the moment. And she thinks about Gabriel. And she thinks about him saying, you should rejoice. You're highly favored. And then a couple days pass. And the one who laid behind the stone comes back to life. And the reality of the Messiah that she's only read about and hoped for is 
clear. And she thinks about the angel Gabriel that night. And she says, I don't, I, I think, I, I think now I'm beginning to understand. So the question for you and I today is what lies on the other side of your submission? Have you been holding out on God because you're afraid of the consequences of what He's asking you to give away? Have you been holding out on God because you're afraid of the consequences that might lie over that horizon? What is God asking you to submit to Him? For some of you here today, it might be your very soul to submit the destiny of your eternal life, to make a decision here, today, and now that you won't ever go back on, to follow Jesus all the way from here to home. If you've been putting that off, don't put it off anymore. Over the horizon with Jesus as an eternity that you can only imagine. And life lived from here to there that will be gloriously blessed and never alone. What lies over the horizon beyond your submission of the moment is a walk with God where He will stand with you and encourage you and strengthen you and draw you closer and closer and closer to Him and closer and closer and closer to the Father. So what lies beyond your decision, your submission to Him, only He knows. But His call, His introduction is all. Rejoice. You're God's favorite. Rejoice. Trust Him. Put your faith in what He has in mind. It'll be awesome. It'll be amazing. He'll go with you. He'll wrap you in His robe of righteousness. He'll cleanse you from your sins. It will be as if you'd never done anything wrong. Come. You're His favorite. Let's pray. Father, we're always afraid. Since 
sin clouded the future, we found ourselves fearful of tomorrow. Lord, at Christmas time, we think, oh, what a great night. Oh, holy, wonderful night. Today, we want to thank you for a simple peasant girl, Nazareth, who had the temerity to trust you. To cast her lot with you no matter what tomorrow held. To trust that you knew better than she what was best for her. And today we choose to throw our lot in with hers. We choose to trust you more than we trust ourselves. We, we choose to submit to your call for transformation. We choose to follow you away from our favorite sin. We choose to follow you into an uncertain tomorrow. We choose to trust you with the full knowledge of who we are. We choose to follow you home over whatever road you decide to lead. In Jesus' name, amen.